Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. Not to tell you, I saw, I went to Virginia, people. I went to see my mom. I flew into Philly. I took the train to Virginia, to Richmond, see my mom. And of course, my, my sister lives down there. And it took five hours, which is fine. But they have like an hour layover in D.C., which I'm not, I've never taken a train in years. So I get there, though. And so, as you know, my mom is in a assisted living. My mom has Alzheimer's. And the good thing is she did recognize me when I came in. She did ask me a lot of times where I lived and I had to tell her Burbank but the one thing is she kept saying to me she said do you have a girlfriend and I said yes and she said oh can I see a picture so I saw the picture of Joanne and she's like oh my god she's so uh she's beautiful and I'm like thank you and she goes she's so much younger than you and I'm like mom she's three years younger than me so the day goes on and she said do you have a girlfriend show her the picture same thing again oh my god she's so beautiful she's so much younger than you finally after the third time i'm like mom listen i'm your baby so if i look old just think how old you are so anyway we have a great show it's good to be back here though but the weather sucked but anyway we have a i've been going back and forth with this gentleman because he he basically he's always working that's sometimes with these actors i get they they're always working it's james dumont how you doing james good good glad to be here then i know i think you're uh charles said you you live in in New Orleans? I live in New Orleans and Los Angeles, both. I'm, I'm what they call Bayou Coastal. So yeah, that's because yeah, I mean, that's it's a phrase funny. that I coined a while back. And and Wendell Pierce, who works on the Wire and uh, Treme, and uh, he was like, man, I'm gonna have to trademark that. I was like, Bayou Coastal, because that's pretty much how it works, you know. He because he was working a little bit out of New York, and then he was working. He had a place here in Los Angeles, but his home is New Orleans. I mean, so. Uh, I just kind of coined that phrase about you know five six years ago. It's a great, it's, it's a great you, phrase because it says what it is. I'm Bayou Coastal. I mean, and also now that we now there's so many work, so much work that's happening in Georgia and Atlanta area. So there's uh, it's this whole kind of like the Hollywood South that's kind of happening. That uh, fortunately for me, I was ahead of the curve on that. Now you're originally from Chicago, born and raised. Okay, so now Chicago I, and New York. So my parents uh, split, and I lived a little bit in New York as a kid, and then in Chicago. So I got these two great cities. Yeah, I was saying for, for the industry you're in, they're perfect because I mean, you know, Chicago had a great theater, and New York's the best. When did you find out that you wanted to get into this? Were you watching TV as a kid, or when did it? I was. Come I, was a, I was. I was a uh, the early days of Sesame Street. Okay. I had said to my mom, and we I'd done like modeling. I was like you know Gerber baby back in the day, and uh, there was a lot of print work in chicago uh these up and coming kind of you know uh uh new restaurants were coming up this thing called mcdonald's was fairly new you know this place called sears was kind of you know prevalent in chicago so uh i kind of started doing that but then once i was watching i i think the early days of sesame street because i remember watching sesame street and going like i want to do that i want to be one of those kids on sesame street so never been on Sesame Street, by the way. I'm putting it out there. Sesame Street available for a cameo. And it's gonna uh, be, it's gonna be on uh, that and Saturday Night Live. Those are those are two on my two on my bucket list. So we'll uh, hopefully I'll just keep ascending up and we'll we'll get some something to happen there. But yeah, as a kid, I just said I just that's what I want to do. And so one thing led to another, and uh, I just kept plowing along and. <laughs> Here I am. I can't believe it. Now, did you sit there when you were knew you wanted to get into Sesame Street? Let's say you're yeah. a young kid. Yeah. Now, did you go to your your uh, parents and say, or your well, whoever lived in Chicago, mm-hmm. did you say, how am I going to get there, or or did you just sit there and put it under like under the back burner because you're a kid? And what, yeah, you, yeah, I was know. a kid for a while. And the thing you know for me was like I was really into baseball, so there was this at a certain point I was kind of have to kind of decide if I was going to do the acting route or the baseball route. And that came right around high school. And fortunately for me, you know, I had John Cusack was a couple of years behind me and Jeremy Piven was the same year and Piven Workshop was doing stuff. And so, and then there was this kind of like all of a sudden since Blues Brothers, there was this, you know, all of a sudden Chicago was a film town. So, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and 16 Candles and like all these, you know, all these John Hughes movies were kind of coming to town. And I mean, I was Jason Getrick and I, like you know, on a whim, we were extras in in uh, in uh, God, what was the movie with Tom Cruise? His first big movie. Uh, I'm blanking on not it. a risky business. Risky business. Jason and I were were extras in risky Wait business. Wait a second, that was shot in. In 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 uh, like Glencoe, a little it's, bit in Glencoe, in yeah, in Illinois. For yeah, years, New, I grew up in New Jersey. I thought it was shot in New Jersey. No, no, that oh. area is like that's the that's the North Shore. There's yeah. like everything shot there. Home Alone's <laughs> shot, you know, shot up there. So the reality, so like you know, we we started that, and then I had like a little. My first speaking part was in. Uh, first speaking part was in. Um, oh God, I'm blanking on movies today. It was. Uh, Rob class, Rob Lowe and uh, Andrew McCarthy. I, we were, you know, all of us were up for the Andrew McCarthy role, 
And then some, they heard, we heard some kid in New York just kind of slayed it and he's coming out. So that was, that was, uh, that was the big movie everyone was going for. So when you were going for class, yeah. you got, I mean, McCarthy was in the, like no one really knew who no, any of you we guys were, were. Like Cusack was up for the role. Casey Samatko was up for the role. Alan Ruck was up for a role. Uh, it was like which all is, the local guys. Which is funny because Ruck's been on the show. Ruck is uh, 10 years older than all of us. A- and absolutely. He looks, and he looks younger than all of us. <laughs> this is absolutely true. I don't know. Whatever whatever water he's drinking, <laughs> give me a bottle of that. Um, so, yeah. So, we were all kind of like, you know, Chicago guys kind of coming up. And um, Blues Brothers was my first kind of like, you know, I did. I was dancing at the time. I was one of the kids dancing in the street. And then a couple of the TV movies came. And then at a certain point, I was like, okay, I'm graduating high school. I'm going to go off to college. I got a scholarship to Boston University, and that got me to Boston. For theater. For theater. So now you were doing all this stuff in high school. I mean, you Yeah, were, so you, I, did, I was an intern at Steppenwolf during high school. But you got these parts. like Yeah. And, you, and so you, it's better than, like, I worked at a, a, a restaurant on the Jersey Turnpike. You had, like, yeah. a fun job. I had some fun gigs. I mean, I still work my restaurant thing. There was a few restaurants that I opened in, in Evanston, you know, where Northwestern is. It's like, but, you know, there was no bars there. So it was like, you know, there was, I worked in a hotel for a while as a bellman, you know. So you went to Boston University, uh-huh. and so you knew you want, you knew you wanted to act. Yeah, I was a theater major. They they uh, accepted sixty out of fifteen hundred, and then each year they cut people from the program. And I only ended up doing two years because I at a certain point during the summer between my sophomore and junior year, uh, I got involved with Ensemble Studio Theater in in New York, um, through Francis Conroy, which was another ironic thing later on to be doing American Horror Story, <laughs> and then like. Hey, guess what? Remember, I subletted your apartment when you first moved to New York, uh, L.A. So, um, so yeah, I got involved with Ensemble Studio Theater, and then I decided I I wanted to stay in New York, and uh, I stayed in New York, and I ended up doing these plays with these up and coming playwrights like Craig Lucas and this guy named John Patrick Shanley and and uh, Richard Greenberg and and uh, you know it was like this was the place you know in my twenties. Uh, you know, I was waiting tables and catering and I used to DJ. So I would DJ on the side and make some money. And so like, I, that's how, that's how I got to New York is I just didn't finish school and, um, waiting for Boston to send me the honorary diploma. Yeah, they should. Uh, they, I'm, I'm, I'm writing 120 films and TV shows. I think, I think I can, I'm thinking I'm you've, due. you've been on Broadway. I've been on Broadway. You know, what are you waiting for? I'm going to, I'm going to tweet them. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I was I'm like, tweet them today. Be you just send me the, just send me the document. I'll show up. You can take all the pictures you want. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I ended up staying in, staying in New York for about seven years. And you were doing theater. Yeah, doing theater like crazy. Like that, and that was the time. And most of the people that have been on your show were people that I knew from the early theater days in mid in mid eighties, early nineties. So you know, we were running between doing readings at Playwrights Horizons and Double Image and Ensemble Studio Theater and and even uh, you know the uh, new places. Um, so my point is, is that 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 was a time where you know you kind of did everything. And, and you know, I we would run into people three, four nights a week doing readings of plays. That was just what we did all the time. Now, looking back on it, do you think it was so much more valuable for you to sit there and do that instead of finishing? Do you, I mean, do you think you learned? Well, that was that was that was interesting because when 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 my fellow classmates were getting out of BU, I already had two years of like off Broadway and off off Broadway experience, and then they came and did general auditions for my theater company which I was already a member of. I was like the, one of the youngest members of Ensemble Studio Theater. And it was like, they, but they weren't amply prepared for what was ahead. I was like, you know, you don't need to do a Shakespeare monologue. This is a contemporary theater right. company. You know, like we, you know, we, we, you know, we do mammoths plays here. We like, we're not. So it was, it, it was very interesting how at the time I thought, oh my God, I probably should have, would have, could have. And then now that I look at it, it was like, that was the, those two years were like crazy. I think I did like between play readings and performances and stuff, probably 200 plays in that time period. That was nuts. And I did tons of student films and I got lots of experience. So, you know, that was the time where, you know, there was enough going on in New York that you could keep yourself very, very, very busy. And what was it like when you finally got to be on Broadway? It was kind of amazing because that was, that came from the circles of friends working with uh, uh, David Eigenberg and I were friends and we had kind of doubled in different plays uh, in the same role. Like sometimes he was available and I was available and, so we ran into each other and he's like, yeah, I'm doing this thing called six degrees of separation. It's off Broadway, but you know, I'm going to get this gig. And so maybe you need to, I need somebody to understudy me for a couple of weeks. And I was like, yeah, man, that sounds good. Little did I know it's totally nude. It's like full frontal nudity, <laughs> which in 19, you know, 89, 90, that was not, that was not as common as it is. Right. There was no puppetry at the penis yeah. shows. People going went on. crazy when they saw they Dennis like, Franz's ass. Exactly. 
exactly. So it was like, this is just, you know, like, wow. So I ended up like understudying for him for two weeks. And then they wanted me to stick around to understudy everybody else. Evan Handler was in that show. Gus Rogerson. Paul McCrane was in the play. Uh, James, uh, James McDaniel. There was all these great people that were in this production, along with Swoozy Kurtz. And then Stocker Channing, and John uh, Cunningham. I mean, this was quite an amazing group of people. And so that I ended up staying in that show for like two years. And then the, the tour ended up uh, bringing me to Los Angeles. I had come out a couple of times to test for pilots, which was like, okay. You know, really, I got out here and it was like, oh, yeah, but I know who that guy is. Like, I go, I come out here and at that point in time, I was kind of, I had hair and I was still in my twenties and, you know, very skinny. And I come out and I'm like reading against Anthony Michael Hall and I'm like, great. Right. <laughs> like this or squiggy from, you know, like, right. Lenny, you know, David Landry. I was like, I was like, how am I, how am I competing right. with squiggy from, you know, like Lenny and squiggy. So it was like, you know, you, you come out and you test for these pilots and you're like, what? I was like, I'm not coming back until I have a job job. And so the national tour of six degrees brought me out here. And uh, and then I stayed for 20 years. I've been here 20 years. So once you moved out, yeah, you sat there. Now where did where did I went the- on the road for like nine months? Came back with a with a uh, with a wedding ring for uh, for my wife, you know, and uh, she put herself. We went. I put her through law school, and so you know, we've been th- building our lives here for 20 years. Where'd you live when you first moved out here? I always figured- West Hollywood. Okay, so you yeah, lived it was in- we called it the EST West Ghetto. I'd say a third of your students have a third of your clients have come through here. Uh, have come he- through here, went through our Gardner Street apartment, which was like everybody came through that building. Evan Handler came through. Uh, we had uh, we had um, Chris Farley and David Spade came through for barbecues because I had these killer barbecues every weekend. So Gardner Street was like this this like I we know call Gardner. It, we call it the EST West Ghetto. Now were you, were you a Gardner near like near Fountain? We were right between Fountain and Santa Monica, just north of, of Astro Burger. I know someone who lived people, right around there because there, there was an a, a apartment building. They had a bunch of two bedrooms. My friend Steve Nixon used to live in. This was 15, whatever. I don't know how many years ago mm-hmm. this was when I just moved up there. And we could never – he was a Cowboys fan. I was an Eagles fan. So we would go to Barney's Beanery. Oh, yeah. And they would have labeled what TV it was on. But the TVs were like these little crappy TVs. <laughs> right. But you didn't care because you, you got didn't to care. see You're team. having their, their chili, you know, and you're having a beer. <laughs> what, what do you want? Yeah, no, West Hollywood was like that. You know, we moved in there in the fall of 92. And, and there were six units in the building. And, and as time went by, we knew everybody in the building. So it was a great, uh, my kids were born there and raised there. Uh, then we moved on to a house, which, you know, we're, uh, finally selling. So that's a whole other thing. So when you're out here, yeah. you move, you move the transition. Now you're, you're a stage guy. I mean, yeah. basically you're, you're a theater guy. I was guy. a theater actor for years. I, I helped start to create Ensemble Studio Theater LA about, tw- you know, 20 years ago. Um, that's still kind of, uh, thriving and, and going, but I'm not as involved with it just cause I, you know, I'm, I'm a working guy. So I kind of go from gig to gig. Now, how did you start making that transition from theater to the TV? And, you know, because it's not like a lot of guys you hear, you know, when they're doing, you know, te- when they're doing stage in New York, they're also doing a lot of commercials and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah, it's like- I did. I did. I, I wasn't much of a commercial guy. I do. I get lucky, though, because I get like one or two and they would run. They okay. run for the full cycle. But, you know, most of the thing is, uh, I have to say it was... Uh, Jay Bender in New York was really, really good to me. Um, and then I had people out. Mark Sachs. Mark Sachs single-handedly got me, broke me into TV here. And it was this up-and-coming show on this network called Fox. And so George Carlin had his first show. And that was like my first big TV sitcom gig. But, you know, Mark Sachs would basically bring in three or four guys. He'd coach you. You know, you come in and do it. And he'd go, okay, so does here. Hit that line. Then go back out. Then the producers would come in. And you'd uh, you do it for them, and he'd go, okay, great. And then he'd go back to the lobby. He goes, Steve, you got it. Thanks, guys. I'll get you next time. And then he'd walk you back, and you're at a table read, or you're getting a costume fitting, and you work that week. And your your deal memo is faxed over. This is the the famous days of Warner Brothers Building 140, which was like Drew Carey show, West Wing, every all the amazing cast and directors were along this one long wall. Okay. So the good news is when you went to Building 140, all my fellow character guys who've been around for a while, they remember Building 140 because you could go in for one gig and see five other cast and directors there. Barbara Miller headed up the Warner Brothers casting. So you go in for one and then you get called in for three or four other gigs just by being in that room. So the, those those days of like the heyday of the 90s of uh, Warner Brothers TV was just incredible for me. And then I got a little recurring on Lois and Clark and that kind of led. And then the film thing, 
that goes back to Ensemble Studio Theater and Risa Brayman Garcia, who you should definitely have on the show because she's amazing. She's tied to everybody, um, particularly almost all the people that I know that have been on your show, is that she was just single-handedly an amazing artist, an amazing director, and became a casting director for all the early Oliver Stone movies, but was always dedicated to putting solid theater actors from New York in, in films. And she put me in speed. And that was like key. Now, what is that like? I mean, you know, you were doing the recurrings and stuff like that, yeah. but now it's it's not just a, a picture. It's Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock and yeah, boom. I mean, boom. so so what Huge. is that like for you as an actor when you sit there? I know you're ready for it because you're game. You've had the theater, you had That's TV, right. but you're also stepping into it's a movie and it's not a student movie. It's a movie that's yeah. a freaking movie. Like, you know, this is blockbuster. It's going to do a hundred million. But we didn't know at that time. You know what I mean? That was one of those things where it was like, they said it was, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, that Bruce Willis movie. They said, well, it's just like, it's like that, but it's on a bus. There's a bomb on a bus. You know what I mean? So you kind of, and Keanu was kind of hot and Sandra Bullock was, was not as, not as, um, and our director was, you know, uh, he, he had he had been a DP before. So it was like, in fact, he didn't even want to cast me. I basically recently pushed me in front of him by like, well, I want somebody a little more innocent because it's the opening scene of the movie. And Dennis Hopper's like, you know, planting the bomb in the elevator shaft. And like they wanted somebody innocent before, who gets the screwdriver in the head. So, you know, Risa went so far as to go, OK, I want come come on back in. I want you to tape and just explain to me how you propose to your wife. <laughs> she put that on tape and sent it to him and he goes, okay, all right, that guy's good. And so then I got that gig. But you're right. At the time, we just didn't know. It was late. He was over budget, behind schedule. It was very, you know, Fox was getting a little nervous about how it was going to play out. And boy, did it. That was the, that was the movie of the summer, man. It was, huge. It, just, it was huge for everybody. And Glenn Plummer was in there. And I had, and Alan Ruck has got a comp, cameo in there. You know, every, and there was all these dudes that had great, great stuff in there. What's but it like, we just didn't know that movie would be as big as it is. What was it like getting a screwdriver in your head? Oh, it was great. So how and Hopper get, was the nicest guy, like the coolest guy in the world. Because I always laugh because now, you know, like you see how technology has changed so much. But back mm-hmm. then, it had to be a, like now a screwdriver in your head would probably take 20 minutes to set up. It's done. I have, what, there, there is a, there is a, there's an existing head cast that exists okay. of me somewhere. <laughs> Please send it my way. You don't need it anymore. It's been 20 years now. But there's a head cast of me from from Speed that 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 uh, I think the makeup people I think it was Rick Baker did the makeup who was you know he's done a couple of things, but the fun part for me was that uh, the my favorite story on that one was is sitting in the makeup trailer between Hopper and Keanu Reeves and listening to them have conversations about about modern art because Keanu was like contemplating doing a movie with some. A, a direct first time director who would, was a visual artist and they were like talking about Basquat and they were like, you know, like this thing. So I was like, no one would believe that I'm list that I'm getting an art history lesson from, from Dennis right. Hopper and Keanu Reeves and poignant and interesting. And they talked about pointillism. I mean, like they went kind of like, I could have just, I mean, I would have loved it. That's a movie right there, but it was like, that was kind of amazing. That was a, a a fun story. So you're acting in movies, you're acting yeah. on TV. I want I want to get to the later years because yeah. you have so much going on right now. And I know, yeah. and you're in New Orleans now. Yep. Now you were also in a show I really liked was a Men of a Certain Age. Yeah, my which, favorite. Which was such a good show that it was good because one, the the cast is amazing. Yeah, and the two, writing. Yeah, the writing. writing it was, it was, no, there was a time where I was recurring on Men of a Certain Age and Treme, and flying back and forth between New Orleans and Los Angeles. And I remember thinking to myself, I am on two of the best written shows in television, but nobody knows it. <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Because the writing was so, I mean, you're talking about David Simon. Hello, The Wire. Um, and, and, and Mike Royce. Yeah. And Mike Royce, who, you know, seamless writing. And then even what was amazing about that is that is Ray Romano is the only person that I know who can stay present and work with you in the moment as an actor and also be able to throw good, amazing kind of notes and ideas your way that take it to take, take things to another level that there's certain people that think they're directors and think they have ideas, but I mean, and, and, but can't be present, you know, but, but Ray Romano, I mean, amazing person and Mike Royce, amazing person, great writers, 
great uh, sense of comic timing, sense of even dramatic, just, uh, and the simplicity, I never felt like I was, it was so ra- real and natural and, and for that. And then Treme was like, and I was like, God, well, I wish these people would, just, somebody would just, these shows are amazing shows. Now, how did you get to the point where you ended up being on those two? Because I know you're working a lot, but be, yeah. going from working and being a guest star in a lot of things, then to sit there and be recurring on two shows. I know. And at the same time. Two great shows. And, yeah. But how did that, how did you get to that point? I, mean, I think was the it, thing was, is that I know my wife is originally from Baton Rouge and we had, at a certain point, I was kind of reaching a ceiling here and there was a lot of more stunt casting going on in the in, guest star area. In what kind, what, well, how were you uh, reaching a ceiling? And what Once you, you kind of get to that point where you're like, you're a top of show guest star until you're, the next thing is recurring and the next thing is series regulars. And this is where the this is where the shift that's really kind of happened now, and still we're all all of us character guys are suffering in this regard, which is there are name actors. There used to be a thing where film people don't do TV. Right. That changed. And then all of a sudden they started attaching film names to television shows in the series regular roles. Then guys who used to have their own series now are are regulate relegated to recurring guest stars uh, on certain shows. So there was a, like the trickle down kind of thing that happened where. I started to recognize that that I, until I was a series regular, and that's still the case for me, and still until I'm moved into a series regular role, um, I'm gonna. This is gonna be the way it's gonna be, because now it's it's one day guest stars. They're trying. They do everything in one day. I've done I've done 18 and 20 hour days of shooting, so they can get it all done in one day. I read an article about that, and that is good and bad. And that article probably read the same thing. Brian Howell posted. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a <clears throat> it's a blessing and a curse. You know, it, the ability for us for us journeyman actors to be able to be on multiple shows, multiple networks and not locked up is great. But I think honestly, we would all like to be locked up. Just lock us up. Oh yeah. But I think the thing is they we don't have to do it. We can get these great guys to come in for a day, you know, uh or or top a show come in for the week and then move on. Well, so I mean it's it's interesting cuz you want you don't want to be a utility actor. You don't want to be somebody who just be, you know, like yeah, you know, I'll just second second thought you want to be somebody that can always be looked upon and and i think i'm waiting for that moment where somebody can a friend of mine was on a show and he was like oh man james my friend michael michael o'neill wonderful incredible actor and he's like god i'm you know i'm on the show extent extent and they're writing for me the writers are writing i was like oh that's like a dream for us is that you know i'll i'll bring you everything i got 90 percent of the time when i'm auditioning i'm giving you pretty much what i'm going to do and I'm open to any suggestions and ideas and direction, but I'm, you know, I, I, I do, I audition as if I, I have the job and I'm showing up on set. And that's, that's just the mentality that, that it has to happen at my level. And in order to stay at my level and work up. Because I always think also is because now, you know, there's someone told me, you know, years ago, you would, there was 200 guys in a room. Now there's a hundred. Now there's 15 of you. Going for the same part, but the fifteen are all awesome hitters. Golden Globe winner from the eighties. Yeah, Emmy so that's the thing. From I that, think you have to that, be prepared. That guy had a series back in ninety four. Yeah, back then, you could just go. <laughs> you walk in the room, and yeah. it's 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 the who's who forty to sixty. Right. It's, the, it's your favorite actors that you saw growing up. That's what was weird to me when I came out to L.A. It's like all of a sudden I'm I'm reading against Squiggy from right. Lenny. Like this is the kid I I grew up with this guy. Right. And then there's Anthony Michael Hall going. That's the career I wanted to have. You know what I mean? And we're up for the same gig. So there's, there's, um, the good news is I'm 50. And so now I'm moving into the, but sometimes certain roles, it's every great actor between 40 and 60 is in that room and they'll show up. Now, when you're doing men of a certain age and Treme, yeah. is that when you decided to move to New Orleans or you're already in New Orleans or how did this whole move Yeah, come? well, my wife is from Baton Rouge originally and we were at a certain point, I was just feeling like that, that there was a kind of a ceiling here and I kind of knew the stunt casting thing was not going to go away anytime soon. And so I wanted to try to find a way that my kids could have like kind of a simpler, a little more simple life, cost of living a little bit less. And with the, with the, with the burgeoning thing of the tax credits coming up in Louisiana, I thought it was a good time. I ran into a friend of mine and, uh, I was like, uh, you know, this was right after Katrina 2006. I said, how is it? And I said, he goes, it's amazing. He goes, I did 14 jobs, but I can only do 12. And I go, excuse me? Because, <laughs> well, I had to choose between a lead and an independent film and doing a little cameo in Benjamin Buttons. And I was like, okay, so dial back for a second. You did 12 jobs this last year? You know, like, so it was, a, it, it was like, I was like, wow, that was 2006. So right around 
I talked to it with my wife right around 2007. Um, I hooked up with a, an agent in Louisiana, a woman named Brenda Netzberger, and um, at Open Range, and she said, "Of course, you got the, all these credits. It's great." And then by 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 between Christmas and New Year's of that year, all the major casting directors in the South had seen my reel and were familiar with me. And then I had to start investing. I spent a lot of money going back and forth, trying to you know let them know that I'll show up for the gig, right gig. And here we are, like 50 jobs later in six years. So, you know, it's a matter of, you know, I remember when Chicago was becoming a film town. I remember when New York was getting, when it was getting its law and orders, you know, so I felt a little regret to leave New York just when law and order was starting. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh, I missed that one. And then there was a thing in the mid 90s where because of tax credits, all the movies went up to Canada because they've got more money in the tax. And now the new thing is the Hollywood South. It's it's between Atlanta, Georgia, and and New Orleans, Louisiana, and then now New Yorkers have a, a really a great up you know uptick in terms of film and TV. So for me, you know, I'm, you know, I shouldn't be pronouncing this on, on a public forum, but it but I have to look at what my greatest future uh, earning potential is as an actor. And uh, I still feel it's here in Los Angeles, but it's got to be on a series regular level, uh, you know, um, for us to kind of be just stuck on the recurring things. And even they call for one day guest star. And I'm like, it is. You know I, I, I mean? like it, I go, yeah. you know, I'm trust me, I'm happy to work. I, I'm, I love working. It's it makes me joyful. You know, you chase it for so many years. But you, so, need, you need to get paid what you're worth. You know, the bottom line is you can't right. just sit there and change it. That'd be like all of a sudden. You have to be able to afford to say no yeah. in order to get a better job. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you, you know, know? With, with salary caps, you know, even though there's a salary cap in a sport, you know what? The minimum a person's making is still going up a lot. That's right. And there's an exemption. So if a guy wants to sit there and take a project yeah. that he likes, he can say, you know what? I want to run over in a wing, yep. ring instead of making... 15 million this year, I'm going to come in, I'm going to make 1.5. There's certain rules, but it seems now that it's it's really, it's squeezing the character actor out. It's been like that for a while. When I moved here in 92, my buddy Tim Dizarn and I were talking and he said, uh, oh, there's this awful thing coming around. And I said, oh yeah, I know about AIDS. It's happening. He goes, actually, it's almost as bad as AIDS. And I go, what is it? He goes, scale plus 10, take it or leave it. This is in 92. And I was like, for me... It didn't matter because I was coming in here in 92 going, oh, you know, I'll take whatever, you know, I'll show up to the opening of an envelope. I'm desperate, you know. And, but for the guys that were the character guys ahead of me like, that are in their late 50s, early 60s, you know, some of these dudes ahead of me were, they, they would do, they'd be offered a murder she wrote at 25, 30,000. And Asner will tell you, 50,000 to guest star for the week on one of those Quinn Martin shows. Right. You know what I mean? So- Congratulations, producers! You figured out a way and to, to to squeeze out uh, as much as possible, and you felt people were getting too much money, so we're able to get billion more eyes for less money. Same thing happened in the commercial realm, which is that you know you're able to get see more more households, you know, and pay less money. And, and yeah. that's the but that's the, look. I, I don't fault it. It's the American way. It's always been our system. It's the way it kind of works. You know, the, the folks, those are at the you know, top. And so now we find ways as actors. And I know people get, uh, you know, pick on other fellow actors that have producer points or executive producers, or maybe their, you know, their motivations are thinking of themselves because now they're executive producers. But it's the only way in which one can can really get, you know, find uh, uh, properly compensated, in my opinion. And look, you know, uh, I, I I'm starting to produce my own stuff with the same thing intent is to go, I need to create my own show. I need to be able to own the material. I need to be able to own those things uh, in order to to be able to be compensated for all, you know, all the work that I may put in. I think it's become, it's become, you know, it's become a content driven business. You know, we're, we're, that's what we are. We're used to be actors, used to we're be never, writers. They're never going to starve for it. We're, we're right. content. That's what we need content. Like yeah. me, I have content. I have 460 episodes. That's exactly that's right. content. And the thing is, it's, it's changed and that's the thing that's happened. And it's because of YouTube and stuff like that. Yep. Just, you know, where it's, you know, I saw an article the other day. It's like these, my buddy sent me at these like. 10 YouTube people I've never heard of are making 2 million a year. That's right. And I'm going, are you joking me? Cause That's right. and it's, it's crap, but you know what? It's content and people want to see it. That's right. And unfortunately we've changed to a point now where 
it doesn't have to be good content. It has to be content that is watched. Yeah. And I was like that before, but I, mean, I still but, agree that that there has to be relevance. Right. You well, know, at, at the end of the day, good, bad, and that's what I try to teach my kids too. Uh, like popular doesn't mean doesn't mean good. Right. You know, I mean, uh, the Kardashians. I mean, what really? What are they? You know, although this is the thing I wanted to put on here. It's an exclusive. That every time that you pick up a magazine or you watch something on the Kardashian, you are funding ISIS. Just just know <laughs> that every time that you give a Kardashian uh, any time, money, or attention, you are funding the terrorists. Yeah, so yeah. just think about that next time you're going. You look at the you're go, next time you're going by that 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 magazine thing when you're getting on your plane, and that you are you are feeding ISIS. See that's what you yeah. are. You're undermining everything that America stands for when you when you support a Kardashian. So I got to ask you: when you moved back to New Orleans, was it was I mean, when you moved to New Orleans? Yeah. Your wife was from there. Was it a sort of a um, culture shock was it? you had to get used to it i mean it, it's, yeah it's a, big it's a small town it's three hundred fifty thousand people it's very different the the differences are gas is 167 a gallon i was just back east okay i went back east <laughs> i was in new jersey and the funny thing is in new jersey you don't pump your own gas they pump it for you it's the law yeah and so i see it's one one seven it's 168 when wow. i left here when i left here gas was 263 well when i got back i saw something in the news about some refinery and all of a sudden I went I drove by the gas station which is around the corner from me which is the cheapest one in Burbank it was 2.92 and yeah. my girlfriend goes when did gas go up 30 cents we yeah. were we were going for 9 days right it's it, crazy it, it, it is crazy and, and what's crazy is like you know I'll do the like you know cuz I have kids and a family so like I'm a middle class guy so you know I go to the grocery store that gives me the points you know at Winn-Dixie and then all of a sudden I'm like oh it's low I guess but I get 30 cents off per right. gallon. I'm like, I paid a dollar twenty nine for gas. Well, I was see, like, I'm fifty and I don't even remember when it was a dollar well, twenty nine. See what sucks about that <laughs> is I go to Ralph's and I get the points. Yeah. But the problem is Ralph's only gives you the points at Shell. And when you go to Shell, it's ten or fifteen cents more That's the kicker. than my regular gas station. You gotta, I go, you gotta move down to New Orleans because yeah, I go no. to that I go to the same thing with Shell. But this one, but there's that that's always like one fifty, one sixty. So yeah, so there's that. You know, here's the thing about New Orleans that I've always loved, and and I encourage every single person who's listening to this go to New Orleans. A post Katrina New Orleans is a different New Orleans, in a in a good way and a bad way. In a bad way, there's there's violence. You just have to pay attention. It's like New York in the 80s and 90s. Just just pay attention. Uh, second thing is, it's excess. Everything's excess. Excessive calories, excessive food, excessive drink. There's, you know, strip clubs. It's all there for you. So, if you're if you're a person who wants to live on the excesses, just just visit New Orleans. Don't live there because there, you can look on every street corner to see the excess. But if you can really get to that town and see the moderation and moderate it, it is probably one of the most culturally richest richest places I've ever been. I feel like it's Paris of the South. It's the it's the Paris in the twenties. Because I'll go to places like the Spotted Cat where they're doing acoustic jazz, or I'll go and I'll go out and around the corner and in a in a doorway will be some old kind of like country singer, you know, with with a, with a tub, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You know, singing something from like you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, but it's just it Appalachian song, you know, like it's around every corner is artistic and cultural brilliance in New Orleans, and also there's something about that town. That every single time that I go, I feel that there that I've been there in other lifetimes. There's something about tapping into the rich culture of, the, uh, uh, you know, a, a town that supersedes America. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, going into a church from the 16th, 17th, you know, so so it's kind of like it's it's amazing to kind of be immersed in that. And th- there is a great sense of community and culture and family. There's this uh, Steve Gleason who was the you know yeah the the, the, the amazing ALS ALS man his son goes to my son's school and he did this beautiful love letter to New Orleans and he's right it it, it is a very surprisingly small family town I can get anywhere in 20 minutes Steve see that's bumper to bumper coming out of a Saints game out of the Superdome I can get home in 20 minutes guaranteed see that's so there's something about the, the the 20 years of being you know of doing this and I, this is my first time back in about six months you know for two two weeks at a time now you know so it's been a it's been a culture shock in the sense that you know i mean there is violence there there's you know there's there was a rash of restaurant uh robberies all through the summer i mean guys came in guns 
guns blazing going, here's the deal. Clear out this, you know, and then they get in a car and they go and then no one catches them. So there's, there is a weird sense of like lawlessness and no, no boundaries there. So if you have if you have excess and boundary issues, be be Don't careful. <laughs> be careful in New Orleans. You know, enjoy it. Now, when you're down there, when you moved down there, were you the casting directors all got to know you? Yeah. Did you have to audition, or did you could you just walk yeah. in because they, no, I they still, knew you? Yeah, I still audition. Uh, more recently, there's there's a few I've been offered some things lately. Uh, I just offered NCIS New Orleans, that was just awesome. But that's after, you know, checking and going in and reading and, you know, building a relationship over a period of time. Now, you did Treme, and then you also did American Horror Story. Yeah, right? yeah, which, two which, seasons on Which that. is funny, because my girlfriend doesn't want to act, but she does background. She just became Union, mm-hmm. and she kept Union through American Horror Story, mm-hmm. because they shoot in We shoot a hotel now. here, yeah. She played a dead body. Nice. So they did... And she she got called and they needed someone who weighs less than a hundred pounds. And I said, well, why don't you just submit for it? Yeah. She goes, I'm not union. I go, well, you know what? If they if they if they need someone, they're going to need you. They need a dead body and they need yeah. your dead body. You're it's in. A, and and it said it's right. Like you're going for like two and a half hours right. of makeup. And, yeah. You know, but now but so they sh- originally shot that in New Orleans. Now yeah. How is, did now did you want to get on that show? I mean, when oh, you, big when, time. When you when you I've been a, a, a Ryan Murphy and I go back to Nip Tuck. I I there was a couple of roles that that I just came close on for a good while. And he just had a great memory, and the casting directors who cast that are just incredible. And so, uh, yeah, once I was, because I was already working in New Orleans at the time, and then I remember the first call came for season for Coven, which was two seasons back, three seasons back, because then I were hotel. So Coven had called. I had gone up for the first season, and then that was in the middle of me transitioning back and forth. I kept going back and forth for about five years, um, and then now I'm officially, you know, I'm officially there. Uh, and have been since May, because I went to go do uh, ten weeks on Deepwater Horizon with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Kurt Russell for the summer, and that'll come out in the fall. Now, where'd you shoot that at? In New in, Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah. So now, does it get you excited when you hear like a, there's a role that maybe in New Orleans? So you said there you can stay home. Yeah, there for me it was the the weird thing was is that I had auditioned like for example Trumbo that's coming up, uh, that's out now, is uh, Trumbo. I was cast in Los Angeles because they wanted to. Uh, Jay Bender, uh, uh, not Jay Bender, but um, Jay Roach. Jay Roach, the director, uh, wanted to have a one-on-one meeting with me. Had seen Dallas Buyers Club, had seen The Butler. So there was a combination between that role in The Butler and Dallas Buyers Club that was kind of like perfect for Jay Parnell Thomas. And so originally, but I went in for a different role and they pinned me for another role. And then uh, the cast director out of New Orleans asked me if I would put myself on tape for Jay Parnell Thomas. And I was like, oh. I thought there was an offer out. So I was like, yeah. So I got two shots at it. And uh, Dan Beckinall ended up doing the uh, uh, ended up doing the role that I was originally up for. And then they came back and offered me Jay Parnell Thomas. So I was cast out of Los Angeles, but they ended up shooting in New Orleans. So it worked out pretty well. <laughs> now, what's it what's it like in a role like Trumbo, in a movie like Trumbo, yeah. playing a role of someone who's real? Yeah. I mean, now, is that the I first lo- time? No, you- no. I had done, I had done, uh, I'd worked on The Butler. Um, where I was, uh, uh, the chief of staff for Eisenhower. So, you know, I love, I'm a big, now I'm a huge fan of historical characters because there's just all this stuff you can try to find. And with Jay Parnell Thomas, uh, and, and, uh, I I felt like I could kind of find things on the internet. So there was, there was actual archival footage, the videos that I watched for a good long while. Um, I I like to be able to do research. You know, I was up for LBJ here. Um, and that didn't pan out, but I ended up doing a lot of research on the character. Just, you know, Sherman Adams from the Butler, I was able to find out a lot of information. Same thing with Jay Parnell Thomas. I was able to find out a lot of, in fact, even with, with Jay Parnell Thomas, I was actually saw a lot of the house on American activity stuff. So it was, you know, at first I was like, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to, you know, just be duplicating exactly what's there. And then the rewrite came like literally a couple of days before I was shooting and, they were supposed to get it to me like earlier in the week, but I got it like a day before. And then I was like, oh no. They're like, we want to really try to stay as close to the thing as you can. And so I'm like, I'm up. Right. Like, I'm like cramming going, wait, I thought you said don't. So yeah. So it, the way it worked out for Trumbo was the first 12 hours of the all the House and Un-American activities down to Congress um, where everybody, where, where I was off camera and everybody else got to do their stuff. So that helped me a great deal in terms of just getting the get revving up. But, you know, 
your 12, 14 hours of giving everybody what you got because you're not going to, you know, right. I'm not going to give you half on, <laughs> on Brian Cranston or, or Louis CK or, you know, so, so I wanted to give them everything I had. And so by the 14th hour, the camera switches on me from 14 to 18 was all my stuff. So it's just, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that, you know, that was, I don't know, my 60th movie or 70th movie, you know, like you get, you know, these moments where you got to like, you got to, you got to bring it at eight, the 18th hour, literally. I mean, what's it like? I mean, you talked, you just mentioned three movies that are yeah. both all just critically acclaimed the Butler Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. What's it like as an actor to sit there? I mean, when you get those parts, no matter what size, you have to be very happy because you know, it's quality. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not like you're just saying, okay, we need you in, Ernest saves New Orleans. Yeah, you know, you're exactly. Getting, I mean, as an actor, that must make you feel really like. I mean, well, the, they work, don't... the work is good, but it must make you feel like, man, it must make you feel like I'm. And you're in the big leagues, but you must feel like sitting there, man. I am getting picked for stuff that McConaughey, Cranston. Right. I mean, yeah. people that are just sit there. I mean, what is that like as an actor? I mean, did, did, was it just a? And you, I mean, I know you feel like you're ready for it. Yeah. But what's it like when you go into a set when you know it's a whole different ballgame? It'd be like it'd be like a guy playing from the minor leagues. You know, or group playing, and then all of a sudden, here you're going to the World Series. Yeah, or just yeah. playing in, you know, in a town that never gets to the playoffs, and then playing right. in Yankee Stadium. It's a different. Well, I'll t- I'll talk to, to to Dallas Buyers Club about that because that's a perfect example of like an independent film of which, you know, almost didn't get made. The way it was, the way it went down is I heard there were two names in L.A., two names in New York that they were looking at for the father. Now, mathematically. Jared Leto and I are four years apart, so right. it, we, it's not—it's not possible for me to be his father. However, there were there was choices that I made in my audition, where mistakes other actors made was was to just disown the the son. And at the end of the day, he was still my my flesh and blood, and that's what got me the role. But what was interesting is, so I got cast, and then they said, "But we lost all our money." They did lose their money about like like a week before shooting. And so they said, if they get their money back in time, you're going to work and we'll fly you into New Orleans and then it will let you know what happens. So all of a sudden I was like, I got this movie, but they did, but they lost all their money. They had all this French money that fell out and Cassie and Elway single-handedly picked up the phone and called in at like a 25 year marker and said, you got to finance this movie. And the guy's like, wait a minute, a, an AIDS drama with Matthew McConaughey and rock star Jared Leto foreign sales. I'm not seeing, he goes, dude, I get you in this business. You are, you know, you are where you are because of it. You have to write that check. And the guy did. So all of a sudden I was on a plane. I was in a hotel. I sat around for three, four days. And then they said, you're going to work tomorrow. You know, you're going to do your scene with Jared tomorrow. And I never, I never, I never spoke to Jared in care, uh, in person. I usually always almost introduced myself, but because of the nature of the relationship, I only spoke to him through character. And after 40 takes, which was a lot. Why after, was there so many takes? Because it, we, we, we didn't have to wait. We had the Alexa. There was no, there was no lighting setups. So we could, we could improv and create. Okay. And, and the beautiful thing I heard from the editors were like that scene's cut from eight different takes. So there's eight different cuts in there from the various takes that we did. And I mean, we said things to each other really awful and painful, and in which to give them lots of choices. And then at the end of the thing, you know, Jared kind of turns to me and go, who are you? And I go, I'm James Dumont. I was like, so finally, we finally talked to each other. But the point of that is, is that you don't, the volatility of that movie and how it got made almost didn't get made. Matthew had lost all that weight. Jared had lost that weight and they lost all their money. So from that movie to start out like a low budget independent film where you lose your money the week before, you know what I mean? And then to walk away with three out of six Oscars. Right. These are anomalies. They don't, they don't, they don't come up very often. You do kind of know. And I knew the minute that I was working opposite Jared and I tweeted out, I said, Mark, let me let me let me go on record saying he will get an Oscar nom. I didn't know about when he'll get an Oscar nomination for Dallas Buyers Club, and this scene will be crucial to it. And Jared said to himself to me many times, he's like that scene between us is like that's the scene. You know, it's one thing when I'm breaking down, but it's another thing when I'm groveling and begging for my life from my father who disowned me because that's and a lot of the Academy people, you know, kind of highlighted that as well. So that. The butler, you kind of knew the butler was going to get something, but they didn't go for an Oscar run because they, you know, they already made their money and they were up against 12 Years a Slave. They were up against all these other movies, you know, so, but for, for, you know, when you know you got Robin Williams and you know you got Oprah and you know you got Forrest Whitaker and you got Lee Daniels directing, 
and 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 it's star studded. You got Jane Fonda, you got right. Alan Rickman. I mean, mm-hmm. like it was like chock full of people. And I remember being bold enough to turn to Lee Daniels because he had, was was thinking about casting me in this uh, the other movie he did before with uh, Cusack, um, uh, and, and uh, Nicole Kidman. And I was like, and he didn't cast me. And he's like, yeah, hey, you were too young. And I was like, it's like this time around, I want to be in this movie. He goes, well, you know, we have a lot of said, ah, you got a lot of famous people already. You need some actors in here, you know, some, you know, real people. And he goes, well, okay, James, you know, like I was just like, right. you're not going to not cast me this time, <laughs> Lee Daniels. So that worked out pretty well. And then, you know, Jurassic World and, yeah, and, say, and well, Trumbo, you know, like here's where I'm at right now. My agent, my agent's getting me to go, look, you want an Oscar nomination, work with James Dumont. So, cause here's my track record. I did Treme work with Melissa Leo. At that point in time, she got an Oscar nom for uh, Frozen River. Was it Frozen or the Fighter? Frozen River. Next year she comes back. I said, "You're going to win an Oscar." She Boom! She gets an Oscar for for the Fighter. Then I turned to Jared. I was like, "Jared, you're going to get an Oscar nom." He's like, "Relax, dude. We just shot this." I was like, "You're going to be all right." Boom! I turned to Brian. I said, "Brian, here's the thing. Rub my head. Melissa, rub my head. Jared, rub my bald head, just in case." And so at the last, when they're doing the last scene in Trumbo, it's a great little reveal for he and I. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. Yeah, I haven't seen but it. there's a great reveal of, of Brian and I at the end. And that was our, towards our last day of shooting. And I, and I said, I told them the story about, you know, look, I'm the lucky charm. And you, my agent's like, you want an Oscar nom? You want your client to get an Oscar nom? They better be in the scene with James Dumont. So, so far, so good. And I said, I told Brian the story. And just as we're walking away, it's the last thing is, hey, man, I've had a great time working. He goes, bring your head over here. <laughs> just in case what was it like working <laughs> with him because he's i've heard everyone who's worked with him they say what makes him such a great actor is and this is a serious role for him but he yeah he'll do anything he's not afraid to do anything if, they, nope. if you said hey walk down the hall with a grape up your ass he would walk down the well, hall if, if, if it was for the movie not just yeah to walk well up. this last day of shooting was a scene where he's got to be totally naked he's got to lift his ball sack and he's got to bend over in front of this actor and do it you know 10 15 times in front of the entire crew so yeah, not not everybody's going to be signing up for that kind of, you know. Um, but yeah, he is, and he and I knew each other kind of around the circles through the Television Academy when he was involved. Um, and we just kept running into each other, and then finally we just it was like we got a chance to work together. And he's remarkable, you know, like very simple, straightforward, present. We created stuff together that that our last scene together in the movie, we really kind of like we really rallied and pitched for it, and Jay really was kind of into it. And then now when when they screen it and stuff, audiences applaud. They're like, oh, you know, it's this, it's so that's something that that Jay and Brian and I and John McNamara like we all kind of like made that you know make made this kind of like payoff moment. And um, he's just you know he's he's as as everyone would hope. He's generous and kind and and a great sense of humor and. And serious. And when you work, you know, what I'm realizing is that, you know, I'm working with these kind of the best of the best people. It brings out the best of the best in me. I mean, they're expecting it. And so I need to kind of keep on that thing until there's a point where I'm going to be doing that, you know. So there is a little bit of the the baton kind of passing of, you know, but you'll find, you know, I've worked with both Tom Cruise and Tom, Tom, Tom Hanks and then, and now Brian and, you know, and, and Jared and these folks, it's like, these are quality people. These are, you know, Spielberg, you know, members, my first, you know, first name. I mean, just these are, there's a reason that they are at the top of their game They're, in terms of just their generosity of spirit. What's it like going from, as we said, you know, all these character driven movies, you know, Butler, everything to Jurassic World, which <laughs> right. is such a. Huge, which once again, I've had a guest on who was on Parks and Recreation with Chris Pratt who said you yeah. could not have met a nicer guy. Exactly. What's it like all of a sudden now? It's like you're sitting there, you're, you get, you know, you're, you're sitting there, okay, you know, yeah. you got the jet. And now it's like, I'm in a dino, not, not nothing wrong with that, but you're like, I'm in a, not only a dinosaur movie, right. a movie that is has made, the original made Will so probably much be on the money. top 10 of all time. Right. So what is that like then when you Ever. go into that? It's like, do you sit there, do you have to change your game face going, okay, it's going to be different now because this is more action? Or is this, I mean, how does that, as an actor, do you do that? I think the thing for me is that, uh, well, lucky for me, is that Colin Trevorrow, you know, <laughs> saw Dallas Buyers Club. So it was like, when my tape came in, he goes, oh, I know, I know that guy. <laughs> like, I know who he is. And he said, and and then your audition was awesome. And I was like, supposed to be, 
they created this kind of dummy scene where it was like a, a businessman was just very uh just kind of sleazy to this one woman. It's like, you know, Hey, it's, you know, you know, I got the, my hotel room key, you know, it was just this kind of like corporate business douchebag, you know? And so the audition was great. He knew the thing, but yeah, there was moments where you're kind of like looking around the lab and there's BD Wong and there's, you know, and there's, and you're going, yeah, I'm in a franchise movie. Laura, Laura Dern and I, uh, are, are, we run into each other a great deal. And, uh, and I said, when I got cast, I said, you know, I, I haven't told anybody, but I can tell you, I said, I'm, I'm in Jurassic World. And she's like, ah, Jurassic, the gift that keeps on giving. Right. So, uh, mind you, I, I have uh, I have some ha- house remodeling that needs to be done. So I'm, I'm waiting for that. But yeah, you're in you're in this you're in this iconic kind of movie. I, and I can I, I can't even imagine the whole like this now that Star Wars is kind of, you know, like that that's, you know, forever. You know, and Mark Hamill, you know, will be doing, uh, you know, comic conventions until yeah, awesome. he's in his grave. I saw Creed yesterday, same thing, Rocket, and he comes back and he's amazing in it. And, you know, he he's what the character would be at this age. Same thing. Yeah. And now it's getting this critical acclaim and people are like, probably like, eh, another Rocky movie. And it comes out. And it's like Jurassic World. Everyone just loves it. And they waited so long. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, it got back to like the original Jurassic in my view. And I think that's the key. That's the key of all of this is to try to. And that same thing I felt with Star Wars is my son and I watched it and I was like, oh, well, this reminds me of, you know, Star Wars. Now, you, you know, it gets it gets back to the basics of the story. And the same thing. And that has to do with all the producers of Jurassic World and, and Colin's vision and, and work Spielberg's keeping the the franchise intact and honoring it and respecting it. I just that you have to honor and respect those audience. I think when you're really getting into the comic book world and you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to do this thing and I'm throw this actor in it, you know, and, and you know, it's like. And you don't care. It's like no, no, no. Respect the franchise, and and the and the audiences will respect you back. Now you do the franchise, and then now then you also go back to play a regular person in a, a not a regular a real person <laughs> right. in, in the uh, Hank Williams movie. Yeah, yeah. So now I saw the light. Were you were you a country fan, or, or how you did know, this come about? I, I didn't mean, know. I, I mean, that's my naivete, particularly now not being a you know living now that I'm living in the South. It's like I had no idea. I mean, I've always loved Hank Williams stuff, but I had no idea how many Hank William fans are out there. Huge. Huge. And, and Tom Huddleston, I mean, again, I'm sorry they pulled themselves out of the, out of the mix. Cause I thought he was phenomenal. And I felt the same way I felt with working with Jared and working with Brian. These are, these are Oscar nominated performances. There's just no two ways about it. Win, 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 you know, who knows? But, but yeah, I saw the lights. It's, it's, and I've seen it. It's fantastic. And Mark did an amazing job directing and, you know, it's hard, it's hard to kind of these biopics, you know, it's hard to kind of pick, you know, like I did get on up. It's like, it's hard to pick moments of that person's career. You know, my daughter is 14 and she goes, yeah, these biopics are all the same. So they're, they were unknown and then they become really famous and they have a girlfriend or a wife then they leave them and they get a drug or alcohol problem. Then they die. And I go, yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much how it works. So you know, there is a formula to it, but I also think there's just a cinematic and there's cinematic brilliance in I Saw the Light. So I'm looking forward to that. And I got Midnight Special coming up, which is another one with which is about what Michael Shannon, uh, there uh, this this boy that has these amazing kind of powers, and it's like it that it the it's. It's going to be amazing. That's going to another movie that's just going to kind of like just soar. Michael Shannon, man, I'll tell you, he, he, it's got a little yeah. guy named Adam in it who's in another little movie called Star Wars. Yeah, you know, just, so it's like the timing of it, it's like kind of cool. And that's Jeff Nichols who did who did Mud, and I, I like I loved Mud, you know. And uh, so yeah, there's just great kind of stuff coming up. And Deepwater Horizon that's kind of come up in the fall with Peter Berg directing, who's an amazing oh, yeah. director. I remember him when he was on Chicago Hope as one of those, yeah. Yeah, as Billy Crump. The doctor. He's a great dude. All around. So now you're in LA. Why? What brought you to LA for these two weeks? Um, you know, family for the, for the holidays for Christmas. Um, you know, and uh, you know, it's also just re- to reconnect with everybody here. You know, like I, st- I'm still here. I still have a, I have residence here and live here and go back and forth. So now, does is your family in LA? My family, my sisters live here, and my but, niece but your wife and here. kids are in New Orleans. That's correct. Okay, that's correct. So I mean, now they're now, with you, me, with me now. But after right. the holidays, we're all we're all back in New Orleans. Now, once you saw, you said you're trying to sell your house. Yeah. Will then you just reside strictly in New Orleans, or will you get uh, an no, apartment? No, I'll still be or... going back and forth. I have it, you know, I have friend, tons of. My sister has a big house, so there's plenty. Of, there's always a room for me uh, here, and you know, I'll just keep things going. You know, I don't want, you know, I, 
you know, it's so weird. It's to to invest, you know, 20 years of time and energy here. You're uh, you don't want to walk away from any of that, you know. So, you know, my agents and managers and everybody publicist keeps me busy and relevant and, you know, working here. So you, I'll go back and forth. You were also on a show because we have about a few minutes left. Yeah, yeah. I love Halt and Catch Fire. Oh. Yeah, and and I know Toby Huss, and he was yeah, in it. Toby's great, dude. And, man. And, but that was that was one of those. And shows. Lee, Lee is just like what an amazing actor. His man. character, he reminded me so much uh, of uh, of um, Christian Bale in American Psycho. Yes, he reminds me that that just that character. Yeah, that must be great. I mean, so you must be really proud of yourself because yeah. you're, you're you're getting like yeah, recurring recurring gigs. You're in, working in, in Atlanta. You're working in, right, but you're working on really good stuff yeah I mean, and it's it's uh it, it's one of those fears of the actor you know you're waiting for the other shoe to drop for after so many years but i i've, I've kind of let that go in terms of like you know um people still like i'm still that guy you're like hey aren't you that guy aren't you like you look like my kid's soccer coach you look like the teacher at, i was like yeah i'm an actor oh yeah any, any speaking roles? What kind of, you know, like, yeah. and then like in New Orleans, you know, because so many people do background work because that's that majority, that's the entry level, you know, so they're like, so I say I'm an actor and they go, oh, oh yeah, my, my, my sister does background work. And I was like, <laughs> no, like, no, I don't quite do I mean, background work. So like, I'm still a, that guy, you know, like I still, the good news is, is, you know, I think with things like Trumbo and Dallas Buyers, that's definitely kind of, you know brought a lot more kind of focus and attention you know but and then but then to do great roles like the characters on halt and catch fire i mean these guys these these you know i wanted that role to go on forever and it was, know, it was like it was, it was but it served a very particular purpose well, you it know? was because so, the guy like was talking about the complete fall from grace oh fall from grace I mean, it was like and i got it had to sit on that all that time because i watched season one and i was like oh my god yeah so you like seasons yeah. like i knew season two was coming up you know and the, the Walking Dead folks, if you're out there listening, I know you're circling around me. We've been circling around, but uh, I'm ready. Just make, you know, make, just pull the trigger. Does that shoot in New Orleans? Yeah, that shoots in Atlanta, actually. Okay, so no, but so, you're, yeah. you're, so you're... there's certain shows that I have my eye on, you know, uh, Veep and, you know, Hello Veep. Veep's uh, a great show. You know, there's certain shows that I have my eye on that I, you know, that, that call every once in a while and check to see what's going on. And so eventually we'll see, we'll see how things kind of pan out. Now, did you already shoot the CSI New Orleans? No, I'm going to do that uh, after the first of the year. And now it's sort of a mini reunion because Bacula's in it. Bacula, he and I have been friends since since, since men of a certain age. So right. I know when he first went down and I gave him a list of all my favorite restaurants and stuff. And, and um, you know, the, the showrunners are there. James Heyman had directed me in about half a dozen guest spots before. And Jeff Lieber, who's a showrunner, you know, we've been friends for years. So we, we, we've been courting each other for a while. So we were due. We were due to finally get on there. So when I get on set, Scott would be like, okay, finally. And I was like, I know. They told me to be patient. I was patient. And it's so just, it must be out. weird for you, like, you know, because now you live in New Orleans. Like, yeah. like most of the time. If, if Dude, I drive around like, watching them going like they're, you know, blocking off streets. Right. And I'm going, yeah, they're going to call at some point. It's like, you know, it's like a bad, like a, like a, like a great first date. And now, you know, like and, you are like, you want, you want to go back on a second date. You're like, you know, they're there. Right. <laughs> it's like Facebook posts. Like, yeah, I'm out and about. I'm like, okay. And now you're going to call me. Right. And now you can work and you can go home and see your family. That's exactly, it makes that much that's, better. That's how I've always wanted it and envisioned it. But now, you know, there's still, there's still, there's still a hustle that has to happen. We were, we're almost out of time. Yeah. Uh, now, now do you tweet? I do. It's James K. Dumont is my Twitter handle. Is there so. another James Dumont and you couldn't get it or just. No, there's, there is another James Dumont and I feel so bad for him because the guy's like, no, I didn't meet you at a <laughs> gift suite. No, I was not at a red carpet. We didn't have drinks together in a bar. So it's so a, there's James K. Dumont. And then you have your name. website. Uh, yeah, but I have to work on it. It's James Dumont. The best way to reach me is on Facebook. I, I have a, I have a, I have, I'm fairly open. You know, Michael Chiklis and I are friends and we decided that you know, uh, he kind of educated me saying, you know, it's good to keep an open Facebook thing. So you can hit me up on Facebook. Well, hit him up on Facebook, people. And yeah. Check out his work. Go see Trombo. And, uh, and, um, please see, go to, go, I always say, go to IMDb, look at their credits, just go Netflix. Do a James stuff. Dumont Film Festival. That's what you're doing. Just, yeah. So, you'll, you'll be, you'll be glad you did. So check him out. Also, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. You can also go to my website, coopertalk.net, where I have over 450 episodes up. Also, you can email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. See, uh, recommend some guests. You know, I try. I get turned down. I get some. It's all good. And if you have, <laughs> you have, a, if you have a Google, uh, if you have, I mean, an Android, if you have like the Galaxy or, or a tablet, you can go to the Google Play Store and there's a Cooper Talk app. It's free. 
You can get all my episodes. Just download it on your phone or your app. Push it, and it'll show you all the episodes. You can listen all the time you want, just like iTunes and Stitcher. But you got to search one word Cooper Talk for all this. And don't forget, it's New Year coming up. Buy my book, StopTheSalt.com. You know, I went through my health problems. I had to change my diet. So go to StopTheSalt.com. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. But if you get it from my website, one, I make more money. And two, I will sign it for you and send it to you. If you don't want me to sign it, say don't sign it because we don't even like you. We just want to be healthy. So that's about it, people. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.